It's Tuesday, November 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, the one and only Bill Mann. Good to see you. Chris, it's, del- it's delightful to be with you. You doing all right? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We've got sports news for investors, or it might be investing news for sports fans. I'm not sure which. But we're going to start with some big retail earnings. Walmart's third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Same store sales were higher than expected. They raised guidance. Uh, you would think the stock would be shooting up, but it's Walmart. That's it's not. That's not the case. Um, it's not it a shooting just- up stock, is it? It's not, but you know, it's interesting because there, there are some people who are sort of dinging Walmart on their gross margins, and I, I suppose I understand that if you're just if you're just going to judge them on their gross margins aren't as lovely as they could be, I get that. But to me, Bill, the it's value dumb. proposition, <laughs> the value proposition for customers is still it's very dumb. much at the heart and center of what Walmart is doing. Exactly. Exactly. Think about this. Think about the size of the Walmart revenue base, and it was and it was up nine point two percent. That is massive. That is massive. That means that Walmart is taking market share. The other thing that they said that was really really interesting in an environment in which we are all worried about su- supply chains. One of the first things that they said was, "Hey, our shelves are stocked." <laughs> We are ready for the holiday season, whichever holiday you're talking about. And I do hope they were talking about about Thanksgiving because you're not supposed to talk about Christmas before holiday, before Thanksgiving uh, goes by. But they did raise prices. Their traffic was up 5.7% over the same quarter last year, and spending was up 3.3%. This is Walmart we're talking about. The This is not a company that likes to go to its prices in order to make up for what it considers to be short-term things. They don't like to raise prices. This is in their DNA. So for some people to come out and say, ah, your margins were a little, a little lower, I almost expected Walmart to say, have you looked around? Right. Have you paid attention to the fact that you can't get stuff, that other stuff's much more expensive, that labor costs, and by the way, we employ a lot of people, are way, way up? Like, it's a crazy, crazy thing to, to ding Walmart for while they are doing their best to keep prices in line. But still, a 3.3% rise in individual spending per trip. They're, you're right. They are raising some prices, but they are yeah. they are not they're not raising prices to the degree that they could, and certainly in the way no, that some Wall Street analysts would like them to. And I was watching Doug McMillan, the CEO, uh, being interviewed this morning, and he was reminding me of Jim Sinegal in the way he was talking about how Walmart views its customers, how they want to provide value for their customers. And they're just not going to raise prices to such a degree that it hurts their customers just so it will um, make the socks yeah, of Wall Street analysts a, roll up and down. He, he was essentially telling the analysts, can you do us a favor and get out of New York for a day or two and go look around? Go, go to a place like Peoria, Illinois and walk into the Walmart and tell me what you see. 
Tell me what you see. They are not they they are not raising prices to the extent that they could, and that is a feature of Walmart and not a bug. And they're doing it in an environment in which everything is still a little bit crazy kind of post post pandemic. They did not raise prices for most of their goods because they didn't want to. And I think it's such an important thing. And I'm so glad that you brought up Jim Senegal because for years when he did the Costco earnings report, every single time some analyst would ask him that question and you would you could feel Jim Senegal go, oh, okay, maybe you're new. But that's not how we do things. And this is exactly, you're right, that's exactly the, the same energy that McMillan gave. Uh, last thing before we move on. Um, how should investors uh, think about the international part of Walmart's business? What should people focus on there? Uh, so, both Walmart and Costco have shown that it's really somewhat more difficult than it would seem to move from country to country if they aren't contiguous. Walmart in Canada does very, very well against pretty good competition, and Walmart in Mexico does amazingly. And Walmart in Mexico, which actually also has its own publicly traded ticker, which they call Walmex, which I love, but it's Walmart of Mexico, um, yeah, it, it is. It is quite important for them, but they have they they really never have looked to make quantum leaps going overseas, and I think that that's been strategy in the same way that forever you couldn't find a Walmart in Manhattan or you couldn't find a Walmart in you know they 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 knew their playbook and their playbook included not pushing their supply chains in ways that made them very very hard to to manage same store sales for home depot in the third quarter were up 6% which doesn't seem like a lot but it was nearly triple what was expected and Home Depot's profits and revenue were higher than expected, and it was not close. This was not one of those beat-by-a-penny yeah. kind of quarters. They beat by a pound and a half. 9.8% jump in sales. Same-store sales were up 6%. Now, imagine, I, I, I always want to be a little bit careful, because when I say last year, I generally am still speaking about 2019 and 2020. It was just the troubles, right? It, it, personally, when I think about last year, I ignore 2020. And when we talk about comparables, thinking about 2020, you have to be a little bit careful too, because 2020 was so weird. There were lots of stores that were closed for certain periods of time. Even if they were open, nobody was going. But guess what was happening by this time in 2020? People were doing projects excuse me, at their houses. That was happening. So for Home Depot to beat the third quarter of 2020 by 9.8% in 2021, it's astounding to me. It's absolutely astounding. And yes, there's some inflation that's built into it, but also Home Depot is not Walmart. They are they are taking a little more pricing advantage. They are much more willing to go to the board, if you will, than a Walmart does. And so with average their their average ticket, which is a fancy pants way of saying how much did each person spend, was up almost thirteen percent. 
that's the most interesting part of this quarter for me is that yeah. it, the what's driving the same store sales growth is not more traffic traffic was actually down it was yeah. the people who were going there were spending much more money just walking around just walking around home depot with their wallets open saying just take what you need can i have my stuff right, right now i think at least partially i think at least partially like both of these companies are so interesting to talk about because both of them solved part of the supply chain issues by leasing their own ships to make sure that they were getting materials and i think that there is something to be said and I don't know, Chris, if this is a good thing or not, but it's a thing that the biggest companies are not suffering in the same way that the smaller smaller companies are from supply chain disruptions. And Home Depot, I think you could probably say, I mean, I did this. Here, let's, let's do some anecdata. When I went into Home Depot to buy a light bulb, I bought 12 of them. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. I didn't need 11 of them, but I did because because of that very thing. So great quarter for them. I you know you you need to be a little bit careful because obviously the supply chain impacts people and companies in various ways and some people may just be maybe doing the same thing that I'm doing like okay, I've got a I've got a room full of toilet paper again. I've got a room full of cleaning supplies, whatever it is that I need to make it through the winter if the supply chains get worse. But still, this was a staggering quarter for Home Depot. Are you surprised that Home Depot is basically now, from the standpoint of market cap, the same size as Walmart? Because I can look at that and see that it is real, and part of me still has trouble wrapping my head around it. Yeah, it's an is that doesn't make any sense. We all think of, I mean, we all think of Home Depot from with 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 some level of they are the Borg, they are you know they 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 are a massive massive company. We don't think of Home Depot as being the same. Part of that has to do with the fact, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier with Walmart, Home Depot is much more capitally efficient than Walmart is. They make bigger margins on the average thing that you're walking out with than you know that then happens in a Walmart. Still, Walmart's the biggest retailer in the world. It does not make sense on a lot of levels. For the again, because if Walmart really wanted to, they could go to their boards instantly. They could break out the price gun instantly and make substantially more money. They choose not to. Uh, a couple quick notes before we get to our final story. Um, the Motley Fool's annual meeting starts on Wednesday and runs through Friday. Yes, we are a private not company. Solid. But not yes, solid. Not solid? Not the whole time. That would be a heck of a meeting. Not the whole time, but, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's three days worth of an annual meeting. 66-hour consecutive meeting would be a lot. That would be a lot, uh, which is prelude to my saying this is a, a, a shorter than average week for Market Foolery, but we'll be back on Monday. Um, and our, our guest on Motley Fool Money this week, Nell Minow, uh, is scheduled to be our guest on Motley Fool Money this week. So check that out on Friday. This morning, the Green Bay Packers began selling $90 million worth of stock in the team. 300,000 shares are available at $300 a pop. This is not an IPO. Uh, the stock cannot be traded in the open market, and the team is going to use the proceeds to improve Lambeau Field. 
is there a Packer fan in your life you want to buy a present for? Because that that seems like the move here. Because there's we'll get into it's publicly trade. We'll get into publicly traded sports teams in a minute. But but yeah, this fascinates me. This this to me is a, a testament to what fans are willing to do. Because again, there is there is no value to this stock other than pride of ownership. Not only that. They're called common stock, but they have none of the characteristics of a for-profit common stock. There, there's no equity interest. There's no dividends. I wrote this down from the, the memorandum, and it says, it is virtually impossible for anyone to realize a profit on the purchase of this common stock or to even recoup the amount initially paid. They're telling you up front that this is a loser of an investment. Thank you for making a donation to the charitable trust of the right. Green Bay Packers. It's exactly what it is. But but you get a you get a piece of paper, and you know what? Like for sports teams, it's it's that's that's enough. And as you said, there are some publicly traded sports teams. There are a lot in Europe. Uh, Manchester United is publicly traded. Fenerbahce, which is the largest soccer club in or sports club in Turkey, publicly traded. There are a number of them. The old Arena League team, the Orlando Ren- Renegades, was traded on the Nasdaq. But the Green Bay Packers are entirely unique because they are a publicly owned, not-for-profit company. Nobody is allowed to own more than two hundred thousand shares. There are three hundred and sixty thousand shareholders. But this structure, the fact that it's a non-for-profit corporation, is what's allowed the Packers to remain in what is this out-of-the-way, freezing cold, tiny Wisconsin town. Right. I, we forget how remarkable that is. It's like, oh, Green Bay, it's a huge club. It's a tiny town. If If the Green Bay Packers did not exist, most no one people would, would no under one would start no circumstance. Yeah, most people under no circumstances would say, "Oh yeah, Green Bay, that's in Wisconsin, right?" They wouldn't know. We're so we're yeah, get it's, angry it's, email from Packer fans. I know. I'm sorry. No, I look. Even as a Vikings fan, I I respect the Packers 100. percent It is an amazing, amazing franchise. It is an amazing club. Its fans are amazing. I'm not just saying this to keep people from writing. <laughs> Would love to hear from all of you, even just to make fun of me for what I just admitted about liking the Vikings. It's fine. I, you know, look. I'm used to it by now. We lose a lot in very painful ways. But the Packers would not be in Green Bay, Wisconsin, were it not for the structure. And the amazing thing to me, Chris, is that they actually have the NFL does not allow companies to own its franchises. They have to be owned by individuals or groups of individuals. So the Green Bay Packers have have literally gotten they are they they are entirely separate they are the only club in the nfl that's allowed to have this type of structure and i'm completely here for it it's just not a good investment if your returns are of the financial type Uh, which leads me to this final question Um, Are you surprised that for all of the popularity of professional sports and all of the money that flows through professional sports, that publicly traded teams like Manchester United or even, you know, Madison Square Garden, which owns the Knicks and the Rangers, they have not proven to be great investments themselves either? 
in, no, in the sense it, of rewarding but, shareholders. Right, exactly. If you think about if you think about the promise of being a an owner of a club or a team, the economics, the cash flow that you generate, which is generally what stocks are valued on, is almost always terrible. It's terrible because a club that makes a huge profit is not investing in players and your first, second and third principle as an owner of a club is to put out a winning team. That's what you're supposed to do. Not make a profit. It's to put out a winning team. And that means spending spending money. So where, where uh, clubs make money is in the increase in the value of the franchise. And that's it. So they're not great investments. A lot of people put them into their portfolios because they are fans of certain clubs. I have no problem with that. But just call it for what it is. Bill, man, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.